Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Good morning. I have, many of you would know I have a daughter, Promise, who's now 14 years old. Um, But back when she was in ELC here at Portside, um, she came home one day saying they'd learnt the Ten Commandments and the teacher had given them a really easy way to remember it and she decided to recite it for me. She couldn't quite get all of them, but it's still super cute. So I just want to show you the video now. Today we're going to learn the Ten Commandments. God is number one. Have no idols, no bad words. Remember they worship and the on your mother and father, do not kill. Stay them on your marriage. Do not steal. Do not lie. I'm sorry, class, but I don't remember the rest. So I might think of the rest. Goodbye. So cute, right? Today, I want to unpack the Ten Commandments for you, probably not as cutely as that was done, Um, but I'm going to not just look at the Ten Commandments. I actually want to look at all the laws that God gave the people of Israel. Jewish tradition says they count that as 613 laws. So I hope you guys have got lots of time. No, I want to give you a very brief summary of these, but what I want to look at mainly is why God gave these laws to the people of Israel and what they mean for us today. And my heart is, I've really been praying about this, and what my heart is today is that what I'm going to share is going in particular to really help two groups of people who are here today. The first group of people I'm hoping this message will really encourage is those of you who are not Christians or who are not sure if you're a Christian. You think maybe you might be, but you're not sure. I'm really hoping today's message will be a huge encouragement to you. And the other group of people I'm hoping to really encourage is those of you who know you're a Christian You've given your heart to Jesus. You've asked him to forgive you for your sins, but you still really struggle to live the Christian life. You just find it a hard slog that you're constantly striving. You're constantly putting an effort and constantly feeling like you're failing to live up to that idea of being that perfect Christian. So I'm really hoping for those two groups, you'll be blessed today. Okay, so I want to explain, first of all, where these laws came about. In the book of Genesis, if you read through, you'll see that the people of Israel went to Egypt, first of all, as guests. But over time, as they grew and multiplied, the new Pharaoh that came in place got really threatened by all these Israelites growing and increasing in number. And so he ended up enslaving them. And it says in the Bible, these are the words that says in the Bible, that he was brutal, that he was harsh with the slaves. He worked them without mercy and he made their lives bitter. And if that wasn't enough, Because he was still threatened by how much the population was growing, he then gave a command to throw all the baby Israelite boys into the Nile River on their birth. The Israelite people cried out to the Lord for help. And so God sent Moses to Pharaoh. And Moses went and said, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, nah, not going to do it. And so God sent 10 plagues. And at the end of those 10 plagues, Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go. But as they were leaving, Pharaoh's like, what am I doing? I'm letting my whole labour force go. And so he chased after them with his army. And the Israelites were stuck between the um, Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. 
Miraculously, God parted the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites went through on dry ground. The Egyptian army followed. And as they're in the middle of the sea, God closed the, um, the sea over them and they were all drowned. On the other side, the Israelites had a massive party. They sang and they danced and they're like, woohoo, because finally after 400 years, they were free. God had promised to take them to a land of their own. But on that journey, he stopped and took them to Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain and spoke with God. And God said, I'm going to give you laws and commands for the people of Israel. And Moses went back to the people and they said, we agree to follow these commands of the Lord. They made a commitment. They made a covenant with God to follow them. Now, like I said, I'm not going to go through all 613, um, but what I want to do is give you an overview of the three different types of laws that God gave. The three different types were civil, moral, and ceremonial. So first of all, the civil laws, these are the laws that God gave to help them set up their nation. And these things, these included things like um, making sure they paid wages on time to workers, um, how to manage loans, how to handle things like contagious skin diseases or divorce, how to punish crimes, uh, about making sure they had accurate scales and weights. There was even building safety codes in there because he said, if you build a flat roof, make sure you build a railing around it. So God kind of really thought of everything. Now, the purpose of these laws was to help set them up as a nation because they had come out of 400 years of slavery and had spent 400 years being told what to do. They'd never had a committee or a council or any opportunity to say this is what we want should happen. And rather than God letting them just try and figure it out as it went on and put some committees and government in place and then have to go through the process of passing laws, which would have taken decades, centuries to get to a place of having those laws, he just kind of gave it to them and said, here you go, guys, this is a good way to live. These are the laws that you should have. So it was really a huge blessing from God for him to give them these laws. But I want to be clear, these laws, these civil laws don't apply to us as Christians today. We come under our government, the Australian government's rules, our civil rules that we need to follow. In saying that, they're still worth reading. They're in the Bible and as you read through them, it gives us a great insight into God's heart for his people of provision and making sure that the poor and the widowed and the orphaned and each person was looked after and cared for. The second group of laws was the moral laws. And these are most famously known as the Ten Commandments as promised so nicely put for us today. I want to read out to you from the Bible what those Ten Commandments are and give you a little bit of an explanation as we go through. I am going to skip a couple of verses just because of time. I encourage you to go back and read it in Exodus 20 later. So God gives the people these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. I love how at the very beginning he explains why he's giving them his laws, these laws because, and why he has the right to give them the laws because I am your God and I am the one who saved you. And just keep that in mind because I'm going to be touching on that a bit later on. Then he gives the first command, you must not have any other gods but me. Again, remember they're coming from Egypt who had many gods who worshipped the sun and the moon and even Pharaoh himself. And so he's saying that is not right. You know, I've demonstrated to you, there is only one God. That God is me. You must not have any other God. Second commandment, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Again, Egypt had many idols of all different sorts of things. 
You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. And by misuse his name means to use his name in any other context other than talking about him or to him. Unfortunately, this is something that happens a lot in our culture. It's extremely common for people to use God's name in a way that is not intended to be talking about him or to him. The fourth commandment, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock and any foreigners living among you. God knew what we're like as people, that left to our own devices, we will work, 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 because there is always more work to be done. There is always something else that needs to happen. And God knew that that was the tendency of our heart to keep going. And in his grace and in his mercy, he said, you need to rest. You need some time off. And he instituted one day off a week of no work. And what I love is he didn't, he made it really clear so that no one could misunderstand this. He's saying, not just you rich people have a day off, but your servants, both male and female, don't don't think there's a loophole there. Every male and female servant, even your animals, even foreigners living among you, you can't get people coming in from other countries and get them to work for you on that day. Everyone, every single person needs a day off once a week. How good is that? Honour your father and mother. And this was the first commandment with a promise. If you honour your father and mother, you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Again, this is not talking about um, obeying parents, especially if you're an adult, you're not expected to obey your parents anymore, but you are still expected to treat them with respect and with honour. You must not murder. Hopefully I don't need to explain that one. Uh, You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not falsely testify falsely against your neighbour. That means you shouldn't lie. Um, And you shouldn't covet your neighbour's house. You must not covet your neighbour's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else. Again, he's giving them some really good examples. Anything else that belongs to your neighbour. In other words, we shouldn't be jealous or envious of other people, but grateful for what we have. So these are the most famous of God's laws, and they can be grouped into two categories. And I've used the language that Promise had um, in her little video, if you want to bring that up, um, because I think it does make it a little bit easier to remember Um, But the first four commands about God. God is number one, have no idols, no bad words, remember the day of worship. And then commands about others, honour your mother and father, do not kill, stay with the one you're married to, do not steal, do not lie and don't be jealous. You know, a lot of these laws, when you look at them, can seem pretty obvious to us. I mean, like obviously you shouldn't do those things, they're obviously wrong. But we have to remember Um, that we've actually grown up with our culture and our history as having this as a basis, which is part of the reason why it seems really obvious to us. For the people of Israel, this was not obvious. They were coming from a nation where the head of government could order the death of baby boys and there'd be no consequences. So where murder was perfectly acceptable in that culture. So God is making it very clear from the very beginning what is right and what is wrong. He gave these laws because he knew that if they wasted time following false idols, not only would those other gods have no ability to help them because they didn't exist, but also they were missing out 
and they were turning away from the giver of life from him. And he knew that if he followed these, they followed these commands about other people, that that would give them the best possible life. Because when people are killing people, lying, stealing, cheating, being jealous and envious, that destroys people's lives. That creates so much um, badness in relationships between um, each other. Like it is not a pleasant place to be if you've got people doing that all of the time. Moses said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 440, when he was recapping this later to the people of Israel, he said, if you obey all the decrees and commands I'm giving you today on behalf of God, all will be well with you and your children. I'm giving you these instructions so you will enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That was God's heart when he gave these laws. It wasn't to try and put unreasonable restrictions on the people. It was because he wanted them to have a good, long, pleasant life in the land he was giving them. Now, the civil laws that I talked about before don't apply to us today, but these laws, these moral laws, do apply still to us today. I do want to make a little caveat. I don't have time to go through this in detail today, but the Sabbath one is slightly different in the way we apply that one, and you can see that all through the New Testament, um, how it's talked about by Jesus um, in great detail. So if you want to chat to me more about that, happy to make a time with you to talk about that with you later. Um, But the commands in principle absolutely still do apply to us today. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He also summed them up in a really easy way in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to memorise those Ten Commandments like Promise did. Um, it's okay for us just to remember those, those two because if we love God with all our heart, with all our soul and with all our mind, then we will be fulfilling those first four commandments. And if we love others as we love ourselves, we will most definitely be fulfilling those last six commandments. So they're great for us still to read to help us get that expanded understanding of what they mean when God says that. But we really just have to remember, love God and love others. Jesus then took it a step further, though. He explained that the Ten Commandments were really all about not just our actions, but also our attitude. He gives a few examples. I'll just give you one. Um, In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus said, You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Jesus took the bar and he just like raised it by a lot. Because he said it's not just about what's happening inwardly, uh, outwardly, it's about what's happening inwardly. God sees our heart. And what we have to remember is that anything less than obedience to those Ten Commandments is a sin. Not just those outward things, because most of us can go, yeah, I haven't killed someone. You know, I haven't done that. But can any of us say that we've never been angry at someone in our hearts? That we all fall short of these commandments. We all sin, both the Israelites back then and us today. None of us perfectly love God with all our heart, soul and mind. None of us perfectly 
love others as we love ourselves. We all fail to be perfect. Which brings me to the third type of law that God gave the people of Israel. And these were the ceremonial laws. These laws included things like how to build the tabernacle, how to ordain priests in that tabernacle, how to bring burnt offerings, sin offerings, grain offerings, etc., etc. God gave these laws because he knew the people of Israel could not measure up to the moral laws, the Ten Commandments that he had given. He knew that they would break them. He knew that there was no way they could possibly follow them all of the time. So he gave them laws to, so that they could show him how sorry they were for their sin. So that when they had made, when they had sinned, they had a way of being coming right with God. And that was through coming to the, temp, the tabernacle and bringing an animal as a sacrifice. An animal that would then be killed and the blood would be sprinkled. And the body and the blood of those animals would pay the price for their sin. But this had to be repeated time and time again. As I said, we're the same as the Israelites. We all sin. We fail to measure up to God's standard. We fail to be perfect. But thankfully, the ceremonial laws do not apply to us today. We don't have to go, thank you, God, to Jerusalem, to the temple and bring an animal sacrifice. And the reason is because Jesus made a different way. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, Jesus, came into this world and he died on a cross and rose again. And when he died on that cross, he came as the perfect sacrifice. Better than sheep or goats, he came as the one perfect sacrifice once and for all time so that his body and his blood could pay the price for our sin. In Hebrews 10, I can't read you the whole passage, it's too long, but I encourage you, go read the whole thing later, it's amazing. Hebrews 10 really summarises this. It says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Jesus paid for all sins, for all time, for all people on that cross 2,000 years ago. And so because of this, we have a new way. We do not become Christians by trying to perfectly follow the Ten Commandments because you can't do it anyway. We cannot earn our salvation by being good. Instead, we become a Christian by asking Jesus to forgive us and to be our Lord. The two key scriptures for this, if you don't know these, I encourage you to learn them, are Romans 10, 9 to 10. They say, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 
And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, and confess means to speak them out loud, then he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is how you become a Christian. Not by following the Ten Commandments, not by being a good person, not by going to church or reading the Bible or praying. They are all good things to do. They all help us, lead us towards Christ. But at the end of the day, what makes us a Christian is when we speak these words out loud, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, help me to change. You don't have to say those words perfectly exactly that same way, but when we declare Jesus as our Lord and we ask Him to forgive us and help us change, something miraculous happens. We are totally transformed from the inside out. We become a child of God. We are given a new life. We are washed clean. And here's the amazing thing. We are made perfect in God's sight. The Bible says that we become righteous in His eyes. And then when God looks at us, He doesn't look at our sins. He looks at Jesus' perfection and He declares us right in His sight. If you have never done that before and you want to, I'm going to give you an opportunity soon. We're going to have a time of worship and I'm going to invite you to come up the front. And as people are singing, no one's going to be able to hear you. The music will be loud enough. I encourage you, declare those words out loud and get right with God. And in that moment, you'll become one of His children. But I also, as I said at the beginning, I want to speak to those of you who know that you are a Christian. You know that you've declared Jesus as your Lord and you know that you've asked Him to forgive you for your sins. But if you are still in that place where living the Christian life is just one big stress, you are constantly striving, constantly trying and constantly failing. And I want to speak to you today as well. The answer is not to try harder, to put more effort in, put, give yourself more rules to follow, to try and meet up to God's standards. That's what the Pharisees did. It doesn't work. That's not how we do it. We can't earn God's favour by being perfect. I want you to notice something about the Israelite story. They're in this horrible slavery. They are in this worst, most desperate situation. And God came and miraculously saved them, brought them out of that, set them free, brought them through the Red Sea, literally like to the other side. It's like they crossed that line from death and slavery into salvation and a new life. He then provided for them food and water in the desert. He guided them and directed them. And after he'd saved them, after he'd provided for them, he then brings them to the mountain and gives them his commands. He did not go to them while they were back in Egypt and say, look, I can see you're in a desperate situation. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you my laws and commands. And if you can follow them perfectly for like 10 years, then... I will rescue you. That's not God's heart. He saved them first and then he said, here's what to do. We are the same. We are all in slavery to sin. And God sent Jesus to miraculously save us out of that slavery. And he now invites everyone to accept his forgiveness. And after we accept his forgiveness, after we accept his lordship, once he saved us, 
Then he says, now here's the way to live. Here's the way to live so that you can have the best possible life. Love me and love others. As Kevin DeYoung said, he said, salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. We give, we obey God not to try and earn salvation or to get right with God, but because he has made us right, because he has saved us. Can I get the band to come up? When God gives us these commands, and this is the last and possibly most important point I'm going to make. When God gives us these commands, he does not set us up for failure. He is a God who sets us up for success. When he says to us, I have saved you, now here's what I want you to do. Love me, love others. He doesn't then sit back and like, you know, hope that we fail. He wants us to succeed. And so the he never asks us to do something that we can't accomplish with his help. I read a verse earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, that said this, for by that one offering, Jesus forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And I think this really well summarises the tension that we have or the reality that we have is that God makes us perfect in that moment of salvation. And then we spend the rest of our life in the process of him making us holy because we're still going to sin. We're still going to make mistakes, but he helps us. And there's two amazing things that he gives us to help us. The first is forgiveness. Jesus doesn't just forgive us in that moment of salvation. He also says, every time you make a mistake, every time you stuff up, every time you fail to meet the 10 commandments, just come to me. Just say, I'm sorry. Please help me to change. Forgive me, God. Show me how to do it better next time. And we could do that 10 times a day. We could do that 20 times a day. And he doesn't go, oh, here you go again. He's like, good. You're humbling yourself. You're coming to me. You're showing to me that you need me. And when we ask him for help and we ask him for forgive us, the Bible promises that he will. The second amazing thing that God gives us is the Holy Spirit. God, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to the disciples, wait and you will receive the Holy Spirit and he will empower you. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life, to say no to sin and yes to loving God and loving other people. If you don't know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit or empowered by the Holy Spirit, sign up for my mum's course that she is doing as part of Breakout. It will change your life. Go along and learn what it means to be filled with the Spirit and how to live your life empowered by the Holy Spirit because God did not intend for us to do it out of our own strength. He intended us for us to do it with the strength of the Holy Spirit. So if you're here today and you are struggling and striving, then I want to encourage you. God is not looking for people who are perfect. He's looking for people who are willing to repent and ask for help when they stuff up. So if what I've said today has resonated with you, if you're not a Christian and you want to be, or you're a Christian but you've been struggling and you've been striving and you need to kind of have that mind shift of saying, okay, God, it's not about me trying to work harder, but it's about me trusting in you and coming to you when I stuff up and getting that help and getting the Holy Spirit's help and empowerment, then we're going to have a time of worship now and I want you to come forward during that time of worship. 
Speak these words out to God. Say, God, I'm sorry for where I've sinned. God, I'm sorry for the way I've tried to be doing it on my own. Please forgive me. Please help me. And I want you to do business with God. And at the end of the service, the pastors and the elders will come. If you're still here, we're happy to come and pray with you and stand with you. But don't waste this opportunity. Come forward. There's nothing particularly holy about this section of carpet. It's just that there is something significant when we take a step out of our seat and say, okay, God, enough's enough. I need to get right with you. Let's worship. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.